Hello, this is Susan Montero from Program Notes, an interactive book club that includes music, performances of music, authors who write books about music, and the audience, which is you, which I am so happy that you come and listen, that you listen to the podcast, and I'm incredibly grateful that I get to share some of my two favorite things, which is music and literature. So today, I have a fantastic author named Barbara Quick. She is, oh my gosh, she's amazing. Her, her book now is that she wrote is Vivaldi's Virgins. She's also wrote uh, a book called Northern Edge. She has a book of poetry. I could, I could go on with all of her books, but it's going to take a half an hour at least. So without further ado, I will introduce to you Barbara Quick. You get to hear the story about how she came up with the idea for this phenomenal book, Vivaldi's Virgins. All right, so sit back, grab a cup of tea, and enjoy. Okay, here we go. Hello, I'm sitting here with the amazing novelist and poet, Barbara Quick, and we are doing a little conversation about her book, Vivaldi's Virgins, which I loved. The story, is, the story is incredible. From the first page, I felt like I was transported to 1703 in Italy. Welcome, and I'm so glad you could make it. Thank you for coming. I'm so glad to be here, Sue. It's wonderful. Thanks for having me. Thanks. All right, so the first question I have is, how did you come up with the idea of writing this novel? Well, it's pretty crazy because this novel discovered me before I discovered this novel. So a long time ago, uh, before your listeners were even born, in 1988, I was in Budapest, Hungary. And uh, I was working on another book. um, And I was in a street market and I saw this amazing engraving that I just fell in love with. And it showed a composer sitting at a keyboard and he was surrounded by what looked like angel musicians, you know, and I thought it was all about, you know, uh, inspiration. And it was entitled Vivaldi. And, you know, really, I knew nothing about Vivaldi, except that, you know, the usual thing that non-musicians know. I, I knew about the four seasons. And um, I, my, I had heard some Vivaldi when I was growing up. But um, I didn't know anything about his story. But I had to have this. I bought this. It was like $200. I didn't buy art. I was a starving artist. It was just a crazy thing to do. And not only that, uh, my husband and I then were living on a sailboat, a 30-foot sailboat, and there was no way I could even hang it anywhere. But after living in Budapest for almost a year, we returned back to Berkeley, and I put it in storage. And um, then after I moved to a, a house, started running a, an international boarding house i um i got this actually no i skipped a part of the story i was talking to a musicologist who told me something about one of the italian composers i only remembered his name started with a v i didn't know if it was verdi or vivaldi who it was but he said one of those composers and he named him uh was a priest who lived in venice and was the resident composer for an all-female foundling home and uh, I thought wow 
what a great setting that would be for a novel. But someone must have done it already. There's no way someone hasn't done that already or five people haven't done it already. So I went to the library in the days before, you know, Wikipedia. I I went to a library and I, I got out all the books I could on 18th century Venice and Vivaldi and looked in the card catalog. And sure enough, there was no book. No one had written a novel about this. And I just thought, wow, that's fantastic. And um, I hadn't yet at that point moved into the house uh, where I could put the picture on the wall. I put the picture on the wall. And I don't know if if you'll be able to, can you see that? Oh my gosh, yeah, I see it. It's it's in the paperback version of my book. Okay. Um, But I put the picture on the wall and I thought, oh my God, those aren't angels. Those are the orphans. Those are the foundling musicians right. of the Ospedale della Pietà. So the the novel had been chasing me. And that was for many years. I mean, that a decade had passed between Ooh. those two events. So I started researching this book. And um I was I got all the information I could uh here. A friend of mine at UC Berkeley allowed me to use her her faculty card or staff card, and I was able to you know check out like all the books I wanted. And I checked out, I cleaned out a whole shelf in the music library, got everything on Venice in the 18th century on Vivaldi, and um, and then I thought I've got to go there. So I went to Venice, and uh, I started digging, and I needed to put myself in that physical environment. Mm -hmm. I had come up with a character who I named Pellegrina and I made up dates for her life. And and I imagined that she was one of Vivaldi's favorite violinists. This was completely made up. And then I got there and I actually got into the archives of Della Pietà and started digging. And I found, oh my God, there was someone who was his favorite student. Dates were almost exactly the same as my Anna Maria. I mean, as my Pellina, but this was Anna Maria della Pietà, also known as Anna Maria del Violin. And I just realized, well, my character is already, she lived. So I got every bit of information I could about her and the novel grew out of that. That's fascinating. How that all fell together. It was kind of, this book has been a bit mystical in its uh, relationship to to me and the way I feel it stalked me in the way Anna Maria de la Pietà or Anna Maria dal Violin, as she was also known, had had not been discovered really by the outside world of novelists and novel readers. And she's this marvelous character. Very little was known about her, but what was known was so intriguing to me. It was just these little entries in a logbook which gave dates about she was put on a diet of bread and water at a particular point, a couple of different points. And she was given an extra measure of oil and firewood at some point. She was not promoted along with some of her contemporaries, even though she was more talented. And Vivaldi had dedicated all these solos to her. And it just seemed like there has ha- there had to be a reason for all these things happening or not happening. I figured she was getting in trouble a lot. <laughs> 
being put on a diet of bread and water. She yeah. was she was basically put in jail in the place for periods of time when she misbehaved. And I thought, why? Why would she be misbehaving? What was she trying to do, accomplish? And the story grew, and I found that when I got very quiet, especially in Venice, I I just heard the novel. I just heard it. I I really felt like I just wrote it down. That's interesting. You know, when I was reading it, it felt like I was there. You know, it was so, it was amazing how it just transported me there. So that's, that's one of the things I really loved about that book. It's just, it's incredible. Well, I really felt like I was, I had to be there to really feel the stones, to smell the smells, to see the water, to be, you know, on and near the canals, just to feel what Anna Maria must have been feeling, looking out those barred windows of that cloistered institution where she was a prisoner and she was also a star. So it was just her whole, I don't know, it's funny with Anna Maria because I feel both that, I feel this real connection to her, almost like an ancestor of mine, and also like she's a kind of daughter, you know, through time. And also... She's 14 when the book opens, and it has been 14 years now since my novel was first published. And there were 14 translations done. There were 12 that I named officially. But it's really, it's really funny. I mean, it's just, it, it's a real part of me, that novel. And um, I don't know, an important part of me. Yeah, I feel like it, when I was reading as a musician, um, I was reading it and I thought, my gosh, this is the way it was written. It felt like it was written by a musician, you know, just um, how she felt about the music. And when she was playing, it's, it was really interesting to me. I was like, is Barbara a musician? Look that up, you know, because it was just so that's the bit on. <laughs> that's the best compliment. That's so wonderful. Um, I, I had a couple of neighbors, twin sisters and, and one fellow and one played the violin when I was living in Berkeley for many years. And I did. I did ask them for a couple of tips, you know, um, just that some things that maybe only a musician would, but I didn't rely on them a lot at all. I mean, I, I acknowledged them in the acknowledgements, but after the paperback came out, um, I was in a window of singleness and I was set up on a blind date with a violist at the San Francisco Symphony. And so after immersing myself imaginatively for all these years in the world of string players, suddenly I became immersed for real in that world. And, you know, I know backstage at Davies Symphony Hall, like the back of my hand now. And I know all the musicians in the orchestra by first name. And um, it's, it's life imitated art in that sense. So I, we got married. We're married. There you go. So. That's so there funny. That all, it's just, it's interesting. It makes you wonder, like, is there order in the universe? Like, how did this happen? This is so funny. I think there is. I'm not a real woo-woo mystical person, but I think there is a lot that we just don't understand. And that's very magical and very wonderful. And I, I honestly think, Sue, that when we allow ourselves to get really quiet, whether it's through meditation or whatever it is, that we hear and sense things. I, I think from other times, from other places. 
that makes sense. You know, it just depends on how good an antenna you are. But yeah. I think everybody can do it. I don't, you know, I don't, I, I see why not? Like if there's colors we can't see, like ultraviolet, right. you know what I mean? So why wouldn't there be other things that we can't sense? Absolutely. And also why wouldn't the dead last? And so, I mean, you know, why aren't they still with us in some way? Because everything is recycled, you know, our, we're full of starlight and, you know, and I know that I sense my beloved dead all the time and um and i have i don't have any fear about it i feel like yeah well i'm a big gardener i spend a lot of time with my fingers in the dirt growing uh -huh. things and i feel like that's my home that's where i'm going to return and i feel really good about it i want to be a tree when i grow up yeah i love it <laughs> right yeah why not you know i would let's see what else was, oh the the manuscripts weren't you looking up the old manuscripts right well, yeah, I saw, um, I got, I had to sort of lie my way into this wonderful library uh, of the uh, Conservatorio Benedetto Marcello. Mm -hmm. And I, because I had been told that there was a the part book that belonged, actually belonged to Anna Maria, a leather bound part book filled with music that Vivaldi had written for Anna Maria and dedicated to her. So, um, you know, I, I tried to page it and I said, you know, sono una scrittrice americana, I'm, I'm an American writer. And they were like, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I felt very discouraged. And I was to a museum guard at the uh, little museum of the Pietà about that. And he said, tell them you are a music teacher so see sue you'd have an easier time really? so i thought okay and then i thought well i'll do one better i'll tell them that i'm a phd musicologist oh, wow. <laughs> i put on some some glasses that i didn't need and and i so i made this announcement and they let me write in and they paged the part book for me, I had to wait for it. I was so nervous. I was wearing those cotton white gloves. Yeah, you know, yeah. Wear. I was trembling and they, they gave me this thing and I couldn't believe it. I, it's probably not even been digitized. Maybe it has been now, but I couldn't believe it that there it was. And looking at the, the pages, I saw places where Anna Maria or Vivaldi had made corrections in the notes, changes. Wow. Yeah. And there was no whiteout then. And so Anna Maria, I guess, cut out little pieces of music paper with the right notes on it, and she sewed the the patches onto the music sheets. So I was holding paper that music paper that had been stitched by the hand of Anna Maria de la Pietà, who you know who I was writing about. I was writing about her longing and her heart and her soul. Right. And I just wept while I held this. I was trying not to get my tears on the oh, manuscript. Yeah. It was very special. I could see that. And, and we were just talking about like just reaching out in the past and in here you were holding this manuscript that she she held, she she played off of this. It's just that's incredible. And it was so special to her because she, you know, was abandoned there. She didn't know about any parents at all. She had no mother and father. And Vivaldi, I think, was like, really like a father figure to her. Mm -hmm. And he he was very, very good. I mean, I know you know Vivaldi's music. Mm -hmm. um, he managed to write solo pieces 
for all the different instruments represented at the Pietà because he knew these young women needed to feel special. And so he made each of them feel special by giving them really challenging solos. Yeah. These, this was the creme de la creme of the, of the place. These were the musical orphans. Um, and they were Vivaldi's only way of making his music heard. So he really cared about how they played and he was really strict with them. And they, because they wanted to play to please him, they play. They did play like angels. So I wasn't really yeah. wrong when I thought they were angels surrounding the composers. That's true. Yeah, they were. And um, you, you, the music was so. It's just so beautiful, and it's still relevant today. His music. He was so ahead of his time, and it's amazing. I listened to this to the sacred music so much while I was writing the novel. I mean, and I really didn't know the sacred music before. Um, but I listened to it endlessly and it really informed my sense of who Vivaldi was. Mm -hmm. uh, I, there's very little biographical information about him available, but when I listened very carefully to the music, I felt that I could sense his personality mm -hmm. in the music. And that was my key because there's not even a, and uh, authenticated portrait of Vivaldi from yeah. that time. We don't even really know what he looked like. I mean, they say they called him Il Prete Rosso, the red priest of Venice, because he had flaming red hair. But we don't really know anything else about him. So it's funny. Um, I I don't think we've mentioned yet, but um, I just, uh, I'm just getting the paperwork for a, an option for a miniseries, I, which I is going to, to be based that. on the novel. So I'm yes. so excited about that. And the idea, uh, you know, is, you know, well, I'm not the casting director, but I know that they're going to grapple with this. Who can play Vivaldi? Because it has to be someone who's a crackshot violinist or a really good fake, you know, and have a crackshot violinist. Because he was known as just a phenomenal fiddler. It, it, it was diabolical. People thought he was just ridiculously virtuosic in his playing. Who they would get for that? Yeah, I wanted to talk about your mini series too. Are you, okay. What do you think it might be coming out? It's going to take a couple of years to get it going, or? Yeah, I would say a couple of years. I mean, right now the producer, who's just wonderful, and she found me on my website. It was so exciting. She contacted me, and she's so enthusiastic about the book. She said somebody else sent her a man sent her a script about Vivaldi, and she. You know, she thought it was interesting, but she wasn't really interested in a miniseries about Vivaldi, but she thought she didn't know about the Ospedale della Pietà and this foundling home. And she thought, wow, but that would be a really good subject. So she started doing some research. She found my novel and she said she started reading and she said she was calling her friends saying, oh, I've got to read this to you. I've got to, you've got to hear this. And they were all saying to her, Michelle, you have to do this. You have to produce this. So she found me on my website and contacted me. And then the ball got rolling oh, for getting excellent. a contract together. Yeah. That's so funny. When we did, when we did a book club based on your book, um, that's what everyone was saying. They were saying, this has to be a movie or a miniseries. Everyone said that. And Isn't so, that funny? Yeah, it's just, it's so, I can't explain it, what it is about that book. It just, it just drew me into this whole world. 
that I didn't really know. Like I didn't know about that violinist. And I'm a violinist. I didn't. I didn't know about her. And people do need to know. I think about her. I think so. Uh, and um, and about her, I think her uh, quest to to find out who she really is is it's a quest that modern day girls and women can identify with her it's it, it's not just something from the 18th century but it's very much her story is rooted in the 18th century so it's a story that bridges the centuries i think and i i swear i just think it's the force of her talent her gift her extraordinary gift and her personality that just came through loud and clear to me. It was really like a broadcast from from another century. Well, I, I have to say, I, I really did love that book. And um, I'm going to be doing another, I'm going to be doing another club with that because especially in the summer, because I just, it'd be perfect to read it. We can listen to Vivaldi's music. <laughs> oh, wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it awesome. must be great for you teaching Vivaldi and also knowing all the background. I, I did some coaching once, um, uh, for this uh, San Francisco girls chorus before a, a performance of some of Vivaldi's, well, it was Vivaldi's Gloria. Uh -huh. And and I told them the story of the girls and the coro, the girls and women, and, you know, what it was like. And I made it vivid for them. And their music director said it made a huge difference in the performance. And I was so, I was so happy about that because I think that, you know, music all by itself reveals a lot, but the more that the musician can feel what it was, where the music came from and what the story was behind it, the better, the more nuanced um, the performance will be and the more moving it will be. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, it, music is telling a story. That's why I wanted to link the literature and music together because you're both telling a story. You know, it's a brilliant so idea. I love your your book club premise. It's oh, it's really wonderful. Yeah. Thanks. So we love to have you have you again. Um, yeah. I, I I I when I was in college, I I studied literature and I studied music. So I remember and I remember just being drawn to both. And I think it's because of the story. Every piece has a story. You know, it is a story. And if you can see that, I think it it, it makes the music more meaningful. You know, it's not like you're just playing. Well, notes. and that's story is what our lives are. I mean, to me, that's what it's all about. We're living and creating our own stories every day. Mm -hmm. And that's what having a fulfilled life, I think, and a meaningful life is all about, is creating the story that you want to live. And, right. and maybe that you want to be remembered for and the story that you want to contribute to the world. So, you know, I, it is all about story. And I, I love the, the connection between the literature and music. And I'm so glad that as a, as a tourist, because I'm not a musician, the only instrument I play is a fountain pen, that I still get to dwell imaginatively in this world of musicians and it helps me because I hear my my husband's a professional classical violist and I get to hear him you know engaging with the music every day and it's just it's so wonderful it's oh, it's fun. such a hero's journey I think <laughs> yeah it is a lot of fun I think a lot of musicians when we when we get into it you're not thinking about like, how much money am I going to make or anything you're just like oh I get to play I get to play my instrument today oh, you know it's just absolutely it's just and to uh, live to you know have that be your work 
the world of that most glorious music of you know the classical period the baroque period it's just i can't think of anything more glorious yeah it's fantastic well thanks so much there's um any anything about your poetry too i wanted to get something in about the poetry that you write you just just come out with a book too with the poetry um i my debut chapbook of poems i just won a little award the blue light press poetry prize and it's being published as uh, a chapbook by blue light press this spring and oh it's poems i wrote on the greek island of sifnos it's called the light on sifnos i'm very excited about it because i've written poetry since i was a little girl but this is and i've had a lot of poems published here and there but this past year has been a real blossoming for me i have a friend who calls me the grandma moses of poetry <laughs> but, um yeah two of my poems have just been recorded by garrison keeler for the writer's almanac and they're going to be featured this spring so i'm very excited about that okay. so i'm going to check it's... that out i love your poetry because I, I was on your oh. website and i was it were you the one that was so was talking about looking up at the stars Yes. Oh, yeah. And was that you yeah, with yeah. the crickets? And I was like, oh yeah. my gosh, that was me when I was a kid. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. Yeah. Kidding. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I I mis- I thought because I only heard the crickets when I saw the stars, I thought the stars made the sound of the crickets. <laughs> I did that too, though. It's logical. <laughs> oh, well, we're secret sisters. That's amazing. <laughs> that's wow. So and I had to laugh and I was like, oh my gosh, someone else. <laughs> I know. I I kind of thought that there was it was some sort of weird aberration in my brain, which made me look. Well, actually, I think it is some weird aberration in my. I mean, what else makes a musician or a poet? You know, it's weird wiring. You know, it's just the way we're wired. It is. It's the way we think. You know, it's like you're you see a story. You know, you hear a story. Right. That's so right. Oh, thank no, it's, you so it's much. really, it's, it's wonderful. I am so happy and I'm really glad you came into my life. I mean, it's, this is, this is wonderful. And I'm looking forward to connecting with more of your, uh, your fans and people who follow your book group and your students, your music students. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. You will see me again. <laughs> thank oh, you fantastic. so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Barbara Quick. Isn't she amazing? You can find a list of her books and poetry at barbaraquick.com. And uh, I would check, I would definitely check her out. She's absolutely amazing. And also, if you need any college help or more book club information, you can contact me at Montero Music Studio at gmail.com. That's M-O-N-T-E-I-R-O Music Studio at gmail.com. And also have a website you can check out, MonteroMusicStudio.com. <laughs> so you have a great night, everyone, and I will see you in the next episode. Bye for now.